When the Spirit of God comes into the believer's heart, that's the point at which the battle begins. When the Spirit enters our heart at conversion, then the fight is on. Then the battle commences. The human heart becomes a battleground, a site of a civil war, a place of intense conflict. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. And Jonathan, I love the fact that uh, we're focusing on this subject today, the fact that really the believer's heart is not a playground, it is a battleground. And I think sometimes we come to the uh, misconception that when we come to know Jesus, life is going to be easy. But it sounds like you're saying, no, man, that is just the beginning of a fight. It is so striking, isn't it? I think often we can assume that when we come to Christ and we start in the Christian life that our, our problem with sin will stop. But in some ways, the problem with sin on a, on a on an experiential level can get worse because we're so much more aware of what's going in within the depths of our heart. The Spirit attunes us to the problem of sin more and more keenly, and we desire more and more to live in a Christ-like way. And that's a mark of growth, but there is a battle going on because now we have the help of the Spirit to combat the work of the sinful nature. And that can be that can be an unsettling thing, and I think when we're aware of the battle, it can be a discouraging thing as well. So for the person who thought, man, I thought it was going to be easy, but it's not. As you said, Jonathan, I'm, I'm recognizing the fact that I am in a fight now, and I'm tired of this fight. The temptation is to just kind of throw my hands up and give in. How do you keep going in that battle? Well, I think one of the things I want to say to others and I want to say to myself is the fact that a battle is raging within our heart. Uh, we should be encouraged by that and not discouraged. If if we just were untroubled by sin, if if we weren't particularly aware of it and it didn't unsettle us, well, I think that would be a, a real warning sign because uh, it, it it would show that we're not attuned to what's going on uh, within the depths of our heart. But that the fact that we are aware of the battle, I think it's not an easy thing, but it is a sign of spiritual life. It is a sign of health, and I think actually it's a sign of growth as well. So I would say be encouraged. Hmm. That's a great word, and so hopefully you are encouraged as we open God's Word together today. We're in the book of Galatians as we continue our series called Jesus Plus Nothing, looking at verses 16 to 26 as we begin a message called Living by the Spirit. Here is Jonathan. This last week marks 100 years since the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917. It was the culmination of a year of intense struggle for power that cemented the downfall of Russia's Tsarist regime. In the wake of the chaos of 1917, Russia was plunged into a civil war that would grip it for a number of years, and the outcome of it all would be the establishment of the USSR. The significance of those events for 20th century history are well known. They're familiar to us. But the reality of living through those tumultuous and those violent days, we can hardly imagine it, sitting as we are now in a situation of such peace and stability. Very few here in this room will have had firsthand experience of living through a revolution or a civil war, although I expect a handful will have. No doubt it is an experience we would all prefer to avoid. But I start with that memory of strife and of conflict because Paul tells us in our passage this morning 
that you and I, if we belong to Jesus Christ, if we are his people, we are living through a civil war even as we speak. Despite our peaceful surroundings, despite this tranquility of this place this morning, we today are in the midst of a conflict zone, or more precisely, we are ourselves a conflict zone. Just notice with me what Paul tells us, verse 17. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature, they are in conflict with each other. The battle is raging, Paul tells us. It's raging within the heart and the soul of every Christian believer. Within each one of us, our sinful nature, or more literally, our flesh, is at war with the Spirit of God. Ever since sin entered the world through Adam and Eve's rebellion in the garden, the human nature, the essence of the human person, has been damaged by sin to the extent that each one of us is now naturally, in and of ourselves, inclined toward rebellion against God. Each one of us has been given over to self focused, self-serving, and ultimately self-destructive patterns of behavior and of thought. There is a force within us that constantly and compulsively drives us to sin. And the Bible's word for that force is the flesh or the sinful nature, not meaning the physical body, but meaning that nature of rebellion within us. Now, at the time of our conversion to Christ, at the time when we submit to Jesus as Savior and Lord, at that time, the sinful nature doesn't just go away. It's not just instantaneously obliterated. We had a bit of excitement in our home this past week because we decided that the time had come to run the self-clean function on the oven. Efficient household management, a little bit of danger, it sounds like a great evening in very satisfying indeed. We'd done a fair bit of uh, cooking and so on over the uh, previous weekend, and there was some kind of baking over spill in the oven, and it was quite a mess. So we thought, auto-clean will clear up all the mess in a moment. But things got exciting because all the spilled food in there, when the oven got really hot midway through the cycle, it actually caught fire. It almost brought the house down, quite literally. It certainly filled the place with smoke, but boy, did that mess get incinerated. No better way to clean up an oven, I'll tell you. Now, sometimes we can imagine, and sometimes we will hear it taught, that once a person comes to Christ for forgiveness and for new life, when the Spirit of God enters the soul of a believer, the sinful nature is obliterated, done away with, incinerated. Many have taught that idea over the years. We're so changed by the Spirit of God that we're no longer plagued by sin no longer dragged down, but the Scripture is so clear. The flesh remains until the day we die. The flesh fights on. The flesh continues to pull us down and to drag us back. The problem remains, but at the same time, when we come to Christ in conversion, the dynamic does change. The dominance of the flesh is now challenged by a new arrival, by the arrival of the Spirit of God. And actually, when the Spirit of God comes into the believer's heart, that's the point at which the battle begins. When the Spirit enters our heart at conversion, then the fight is on. Then the battle commences. 
the human heart becomes a battleground, a site of a civil war, a place of intense conflict. Now, that may not sound all that encouraging to us this morning. A battle begins when we come to Christ. Life becomes more complicated when we come to Christ, not less complicated. That's not what I signed up for. That's not what was on the tin. It may not sound encouraging, but actually it's very important for us to understand and to know. In fact, if we are to make any sense of ourselves and any sense of the Christian life, we need to understand this truth and we need to understand this dynamic. Paul makes it very clear here in our passage that the Christian believer is at an essential level, at a deep level, a divided person, a, a person in a state of deep inner conflict. On the one hand, if we're true believers, if we belong to Jesus Christ, we will love God's Word. We will recognize the goodness and the wholesomeness of what He says to us in His Word. We long to be all that He calls us to be. We long to be all that He has recreated us to be in Christ. But at the same time, we feel that constant draw and that constant drag of the sinful nature, that constant inclination to serve ourselves and not God, to serve ourselves and not others that constant draw to just throw off the commands of God and to live our own way and to do what is right in our own eyes, that constant pull to please and to serve the sinful nature, the flesh. And it's a battle. There are, there are victories and there are losses. And in the heat of the battle, we can behave in extraordinarily contradictory ways. Many of us here today will feel entirely home this morning among the people of God. We'll enjoy the fellowship with brothers and sisters here. We'll talk about spiritual things. We'll talk about the Word of God in the foyer after the service, and we'll enjoy it. We will interact as sanctified people. But then, and you and I both know that this is true, we can walk out the door so easily and behave in ways tomorrow or the next day or the day after that at work or elsewhere that would be really quite shocking to the people we've been with here this morning. We can behave in ways that will be actually quite shocking to us ourselves. It's contradictory. It's inconsistent. And it speaks, doesn't it, of a great conflict within. Verse 17 again, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Now, there is hope in the midst of this battle. Progress is possible. We need to know that, and we're going to think about it in a moment because it is so important. But at the same time, the battle is real, and the battle is intense. We're going to move on from that point in a moment, but before we do, I would like to bring a brief word of encouragement to those here who are feeling particularly discouraged and disheartened in this battle between the spirit and the sinful nature. Occasionally, I speak with folk here or elsewhere who feel terribly burdened because this battle is so tough and seems to be going so badly. They feel weighed down by failure, wearied of the fight. Sometimes they wonder if the intensity of the struggle is actually an indicator that is, something's wrong with them, an indicator perhaps that they've never really been truly converted. Perhaps you know what I'm talking about there. Perhaps you've felt that way yourself. Perhaps you do feel that way even this morning. 
If you have, if you do, let me just point out something that is quite clear from the text, quite clear from our passage. The fact that there is a battle raging within you between the flesh on the one hand and the Spirit of God on the other, that fact alone, the reality of the battle, is actually a very good sign. It is a sign of health, and it is a sign of life. Unbelievers do not experience this same battle and this same tension. They may do things that they are ashamed of that they might regret, but the intense battle between the Spirit of God and the flesh, that battle is not going on in their heart because the Spirit of God is not present in their heart. The battle is a sign of spiritual life. It's not pleasant, it's not easy, but be encouraged. The battle is raging. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, a message today called Living by the Spirit, where we're looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 26, and we'll get back to this teaching in just a moment. Well, we're glad you've tuned in today, but I realize you probably can't be by your radio every time this broadcast is on. You don't have to miss Jonathan's teaching. You can always come to the website, and you can listen by streaming the program on your computer or mobile device, or you can download the MP3 for free. Just come to EncounterTheTruth.org. That's EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, if we are living the Christian life, we ought to expect a battle. And that battle is raging. That's what we're looking at today, again, from the book of Galatians. So open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to chapter 5 as we continue the message, Living by the Spirit. Here is Jonathan. The battle is raging. It's raging within each true believer's heart. That's the first thing that Paul shows us here. And the second thing is this, the victor is visible. The victor in this fight is visible for the eye to see. Armistice Day marked 99 years since the end of hostilities in the First World War. Thinking back to that great conflict a century ago, it is remarkable how much the world has changed in those 99 years and how much warfare has changed with it. To track progress in battle a century ago, messages were often sent from the front line by homing pigeons or runners back to base. Telegrams would return to London or wherever to give updates on progress at the front, to report on the front advancing or the front retreating. It seems like another world now. We may wonder how Central Command had any idea what was actually going on. In modern conflict, satellite imagery gives real-time visual updates on progress on the ground. We've seen something of that, haven't we, in recent conflicts and confrontations with ISIS. The satellite images show us where ISIS have advanced, where they've done damage. They've shown the trail of destruction in their wake. Victory and loss, they've been plain to see. When it comes to the battle waging and raging within our soul, Paul tells us that there will be clear and there will be plentiful evidence, evidence to us and evidence to those around us of which side has the upper hand in the fight, which side ultimately is the victor in our soul. On the one hand, there will be, there will be clear evidence of the sinful nature's work and the sinful nature's progress. Clear evidence if the sinful nature is prevailing in our hearts. And likewise, there will be clear evidence of the Spirit's work, of the Spirit's progress in transforming us, of the Spirit's victory in the believer's hearts. 
Notice first the evidence of the sinful nature's influence, verse 19. Paul writes, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, plain to see, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. If the sinful nature is allowed free reign in our lives, if it is allowed to dominate, its acts will be plain to see. The flesh has its favorite activities and we know them well. The flesh loves to be indulged sexually, immoral and impure thoughts and behavior, outright debauchery given half a chance. The flesh is naturally opposed to God, opposed to his rule and opposed to his reign. So it will seek to exploit spiritual forces without reference to God. That's idolatry. That's witchcraft. And rejecting God and throwing off his rule, the flesh is profoundly me-focused, profoundly concerned to promote my agenda, my interest, my reputation, my convenience, my desires, and it will drive me to clear away and crush down anyone who gets in my path. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. The flesh hates being bridled and being controlled. It loves excess and indulgence, whatever the cost, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. As the flesh is given freedom to exert its force, its fruit becomes quickly evident. It, it might be possible to mask it to a certain extent and for a certain length of time, but soon enough people will know and people will see. But just as the flesh, just as the sinful nature has its own characteristic fruit, so too does the Spirit of God, verse 22. But in utter contrast, in contrast as dramatic as the contrast between light and darkness, day and night, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Where the flesh is entirely focused on self, on me, where the sinful nature drives me to turn in on myself and to serve myself, the Spirit of God prompts me to love, to love others, to love God, to serve others, to serve God. Where the flesh is constantly dissatisfied and always craving more, the Spirit of God teaches us joy, joy in who the Lord is and joy in what the Lord has done for us where the flesh stirs up anger and strife with God and strife with others, the Spirit teaches us peace. Where the flesh longs for instant gratification, the Spirit teaches us patience. Where the flesh is full of hatred, the Spirit teaches us kindness. Where the flesh promotes witchcraft, rage, envy, and the like, the Spirit of God is full of goodness, pure goodness, where the flesh drives us to reject God and to reject devoted relationships of intimacy and of friendship, the Spirit, well, He teaches us faithfulness. Where the flesh is full of rage, the Spirit teaches us gentleness. Where the flesh indulges in drunkenness, orgies and the like, the Spirit of God teaches us self-control. 
two very different lists, two utterly contrasting lists. But in a sense, what Paul is teaching us here is no great surprise. Even a non-Christian with the faintest grasp of biblical truth, of Christian teaching, could tell us that the characteristics and the behaviors in verses 19 to 21 fit with the unbelieving, sinful life according to the Bible. And the characteristics of verses 22 to 23, those fit what God requires of people, what God calls His people to be. Those are behaviors that are pleasing to God. It's not rocket science here, no surprises, but Paul clearly thinks it's worth pausing just to reflect on these two lists and to think carefully about them. Clearly, he wants us to examine our lives in light of these two lists and to ask the very hard question, the very sobering question. What does the evidence tell us about which side has free reign in our lives? What does the evidence tell us about who ultimately is poised to be the victor in this great battle of soul and of life? It's an important question for us to ponder because the stakes in this battle are very high. The stakes are high, Paul reminds us. We all know that some battles aren't all that significant in the long run. Take, for example, that intense internal battle over whether to add a Boston cream donut to your Tim Hortons lunch combo order, that awkward moment at the checkout, the cashier can see the thought process going on in your head, the anxious look in the eye, the furtive glance over to the donut cabinet. She's seen it a thousand times before. Shall I, shan't I, is this going to be a day for a treat or a day for self-control? It feels significant in the moment, but probably in the long run, it's not a big deal. We can look back in history and even identify some real wars that probably didn't matter all that much. My favorite among these is, I think, the Toledo War of 1835 to 1836. In this obscure conflict of almost no significance to anyone, Ohio and Michigan went to war over the great prize of the city of Toledo and its surrounding territory. Few shots were fired, no one got hurt, and the result made really very little difference to anyone. Sometimes the stakes just aren't all that high. But Paul wants us to know that the stakes in this particular war, the war of the flesh and the spirit, the stakes in this war really are very high. He wants us to know that the battle raging within our soul really matters because it carries eternal significance. Verse 21, middle of the verse. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's Jonathan Griffiths as we hit pause on today's message called Living by the Spirit. We're going to continue this look at the battle that is raging next time here on Encounter the Truth. If you ever miss a broadcast, you can always listen at our website. Just come to EncounterTheTruth.org, and there you can stream the program or download an MP3. Also a great place to go if you want to find out a little bit more about Jonathan and about this ministry. So I encourage you to check out the website. Once again, it's EncounterTheTruth.org. You know, Encounter the Truth is a listener-supported broadcast. That's exactly what it sounds like. We depend on friends of the ministry to give a financial gift to keep Jonathan's teaching on this station. But Jonathan, in thinking of friends, all of us, we know that we desire friendships. In fact, I think God created us to be in relationship, in community, 
and to have true friends. But what does a, a true biblical friend look like? We have an instinctive understanding of friendship. I think God made us to live in relationship with others, and it's a wonderful thing having friends. But the Bible does give us guidelines as to what it means to be a friend to others, and particularly as believers, what it looks like to spur one another on in living the Christian life. And it's healthy for us to look to biblical wisdom for that. The book of Proverbs in the Old Testament is a rich place to mine for wisdom on many topics, including friendship. And Vaughn Roberts' little book, True Friendship, is a real gem that helps us draw on some of that wisdom and apply it to our own lives. Well, we want to send you a copy of this book, True Friendship, for your gift of any amount. You can give online by coming to EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-998-7884. That's EncounterTheTruth.org or 833-99-TRUTH. Thanks for listening today, and I do hope you'll join us again next time.